Hey everybody, welcome to Adventures with Aggie. Today we have with us Mickey Kennedy of FC Tulsa. Mickey, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I came from Atlanta, Florida, working there for Linda City for the longest time, uh, doing internship and stuff with them before, you know, going on, you know, going on to school at University of Alabama, Roll Tide. Um, loved my time there. I got to work closely with the football team as well as a few other sports teams, um, including like women's rowing, women's tennis, um, the basketball team, baseball team. I had a lot of fun. I learned a ton. Um, it was a stressful kind of two and a half years of my life where I did pretty much every sporting event on campus, but it was a lot of fun. Um, from there, I worked last summer with the USL League Two, which is the American Fourth Division of Soccer. Um, they had last season, they had 74 teams across the nation, played some 300 plus games across the span of three months. Um, so it's pretty much nightly staying up till 2 a.m., watching the most ridiculous sporting events imaginable. Um, since then, I've now graduated from the University of Alabama. I've moved halfway across the country to the lovely state of Oklahoma, and I work for FC Tulsa in the USL Championship. Let's start at the beginning. So how did you end up at University of Alabama? Like, what drew you to the school? Um, so that's a, I don't know, it's kind of a me being spiteful to people in my family and me also just loving huge universities. Um, so all my family is Florida, Florida State, Miami people. Mm -hmm. um, so I got used to them hating Alabama. And so, but when I visited, I absolutely fell in love. Um, the campus is beautiful. The things I got, I was able to do there kind of blew me away. Um, so choosing them was kind of easy once I got to it. Um, I loved the school uh, upon first visit. And then once they told me everything I could do, it kind of blew my mind. Like I, and I did a lot of those things because I'm a busybody and I love working more than I love myself. Um, so it was really enjoyable to kind of be able to work for the football team, meet people like, I mean, like Nick Saban and all these players and stuff was super cool. But even being able to do stuff on the smaller side, like the women's soccer program and the women's tennis program where I got to meet these players and work personally with them, that was just like what I wanted to do for my career. So it was super exciting to me when I was kind of given that opportunity to go to Alabama and do those things and getting there and actually doing them instead of just kind of letting my four years slide really put me in a good position. That's awesome. I'm jealous. Nick Saban, that's big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's kind of big in the state, I guess. People know him. People tend to know him. Just a few. <laughs> um, so you talked about it a little bit, but like, what's it like working with mm -hmm. one of the most successful college football teams in the country? Um, so that was, I mean, that's always interesting because like you're always expected to hold a high bar. Um, I didn't work directly with the like at Alabama football account, like I was posting there, I was posting through Alabama athletics, but what was cool was I got to work from game day on the field um, and doing games like that are always high stress. You never know actually what's going on. Obviously with us, we're, we're pretty lucky and blessed to have the ability to say that we're probably winning whenever we look up and see what the score is. But um, it's, it's super exciting, but also super stressed because all eyes are on you on any given game day, whether you're playing the Citadel or you're playing Auburn, um, it's pretty much the same situation. And that's how we handled it, Alabama. It was the same thing. We we didn't look down on any game day. We were there early. We were there late. Um, and it was just a ton of fun of being able to represent um, just a very big school like that. So really enjoyed yeah. that. I love that all-in mentality, regardless of the opponent. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It was kind of it's it's kind of funny to think about it because it's something you hear from again, like a Nick Saban, you hear from him. But it was something that was truly universal throughout every department. Like we didn't look down on any sport. We didn't look down on any event. We always went all in. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Um, okay, let's talk about the transition. How did you get mm -hmm. to FC Tulsa? 
Uh, that's kind of that's kind of a fun story. So like I coming into my senior year, I obviously had no I I uh, planned on graduating December about a year before I realized I had the credits to kind of like hunger down my last semester and graduate a bit early, which was nice because it gave me the ability to apply for the jobs I wanted to, which included soccer. So I knew I wanted to get into soccer out of graduation and I knew those jobs were open in December. They weren't open in July. Um, so what was fun about that was my majority of my time that I wasn't doing schoolwork, which was most of the time I was only doing applying for internships or applying for jobs. Um, so I spent most of my semester just throwing things out there and seeing what would stick. I applied all over the place, whether it was back with USLHQ or with it in other colleges. Um, and I ended up falling upon the FC Tulsa job, which at first it was the Tulsa Roughnecks job because they hadn't rebranded yet. Um, and I wasn't exactly blown away by it because the Tulsa Roughnecks before this season were rather poor. Um, so upon the, once they started talking to me and I heard a lot about the rebrand, the new owners, um, it really sold me to the idea of coming somewhere where they're doing something new and I can help build a voice from the ground up. Um, even though I'm hundreds of miles away from friends and family, I know that I'm doing something that's the best for my career. Um, and it's, it's enjoyable. I mean, it's had a, even through a pandemic, it's been worlds of fun to kind of help promote this voice, build this voice, make dumb memes, all that good stuff, all, and say it's part of my brand. Um, and that's super exciting for me. And it's being able to have control over that voice and a title that's a bit more than intern is, is really fun and really cool. That's great. Can you touch on what it means to build the voice like from the ground up? Yeah, I mean, it's because it's obviously we came into this with a team who they were run by the baseball team in town. Um, the drillers were the owners previously. I like that I'm pointing as if anyone can see that I'm pointing towards the driller stadium. Um, <laughs> that's who ran it before. Um, and so their social media was kind of bare bones. Uh, so when we came in, we, uh, my boss, Austin, hit the ground running and started doing a lot of stuff and building this brand up. And then once I came in and my coworker, John, we started having a lot more fun with it and kind of going after teams and being able to be a little bit more of not so much like a meme account, but just being way more open and vocal with not only our fans, but also our opponents, which is super cool because it gave us a bunch of followers off the bat. And then we were able to create this voice that people have kind of either learned to love or learned to hate. And either way, it's worked for us. Um, through that, we actually got this faux acquaintanceship with Wigan Athletic, which is super cool. Okay. They're in USL Championship. They were fighting relegation when we started talking to them about being like our Twitter pals or whatever. Um, and now they've gone nine straight unbeaten. They haven't lost since we started talking to them. That They're on a six-game uh, clean sheet run. They're just like one of the hottest teams right now. So it's so funny to have their fans interacting with us. Um, and them like saying like, hey, never leave us if we're doing so well with you. Um, and that's part of like our voice, it's part of our brand. It's super cool to have that and look upon that and say, yeah, we did this. Sure, it was a dumb tweet we put out randomly on a Tuesday afternoon, but it worked. And now we're here because of it. So building that voice has been loads of fun, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter. It's just really, really cool. That sounds awesome. So much fun. I think it's chaotic. <laughs> I was going to ask what your favorite part is, but it sounds like you're having a great time. So I guess what's the opposite of that? Of like what, what's the hardest part about trying to build this brand from the ground up? Oh, well, I mean, I think it's kind of obvious to say this pandemic has thrown a wrench in a lot of our plans. Right. Um, I think we've done a phenomenal job at handling this pandemic of being able to still promote great content and keep our fans engaged. 
Um, but considering this team doesn't exactly have a winning history other than a one season playoff run, it's, it's hard to draw in new fans to get obsessed over a Twitter account. Um, nobody's, nobody's exactly going to fall in love with soccer over a Twitter account. And if they do, I mean, amazing for them. And I, I think we're doing a good job, but I don't, I don't think we're pulling in all of, we're not being all inclusive of what we want to be without having real soccer games played. Um, obviously we have come upcoming within the next month or so, we'll have some games played, including games against rivals, Oklahoma City, we'll be able to quiet them because they've been super annoying about beating us in the past, which they have given, given. Um, but I think we can do a good job on the field that will reflect how well we've done off the field. That's great. I love so that's it. Been, it's been tough, but it's, it's been yeah. fun still, nonetheless. Yeah, that sounds tough. I know the pandemic has kind of messed up everybody's plans and stuff, but it sounds like y'all are bouncing yeah. back pretty well, maintaining. Well, I think that's, that's another thing I think we've been really good at is we've actually brought on employees. We haven't had to furlough anybody. We haven't been able to cut anybody. We've actually brought on interns and given them opportunities. And a lot of our photo, video, digital work has come through either interns or people we've brought on recently, and it's been phenomenal. And I think, I genuinely think we have some of the best photography and videography in the league. Um, and that doesn't come just from us getting lucky. I think we've just done a good job at that. That's great. I know. I feel like the quote that I've heard the most is with great crisis comes great opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's key right now. How did the digital and social plans change? Like, I know everybody's like, they're scheduling tweets way in advance, right? Mm-hmm. And then that, right. all of that kind of had to stop and change and become very sensitive to what's happening in the world. Right. So how did that affect you all? So I think that's that's where it's always fun for me and kind of sad in a way to go back to that. We were doing so well in our preseason. We were shooting up in follower counts. Engagement numbers were way up. And then there's this point where you, the last week, right before the, actually the OKC basketball game that ended everything pretty much, was we had like our first game, we got a 1-1 draw in Sacramento that was super successful for us. And then we had a week of content leading up to our home opener. And it's like excitement, excitement, excitement. Um, can't wait to see you guys at our home opener. Boom, world ends. And that threw a wrench in everything we had. I mean, we were we were on top of the world at that point as far as the USL championship goes. Um, and it kind of just came toppling down. Everything kind of dropped off. But we then kind of dusted off and figured out what we needed to do um, and got the job done really well, I think. I guess we were talking about how things change with the pandemic and mm-hmm. stuff. But- right. What about now with the restart? How have y'all okay. come back, I guess, in a social and digital perspective? So I think that was, that's also another kind of like interesting thing to think about is we were at a point, and I think a lot of people were at this point, not just content creators, but fans, where they were kind of dried up with all of the quarantine content. Nobody really cared about quarantine content anymore. I would say phone usage is way down, especially social media usage. People were kind of getting off of their things more unless to talk to other people. They weren't looking on social media for new and engaging content. Um, at least that's what we kind of found out through other people in the league. That's kind of what seemed like was the case and kind of some trends there. Um, so I think this return to play schedule has kind of like injected us with this new spirit, this new fight again. Um, not that we were not doing really well still, we were just kind of trying to keep people engaged in a time where people weren't wanting to be engaged. Um, so we didn't want to like use all these things and kind of ruin our mojo for the year. Um, so this return to play model, I think is, I generally think what the USL has built up is probably the best out of any return to play model in the US right now. Um, I think it's been, I think it's going to be super effective of not only engaging local markets, but also reinvigorating fan bases. Um, that sounds like a lot of PR stuff, but it is true. I do think it is the case um, that it, I think it will be very, very effective at doing that. 
Um, I mean, we're excited here. We're going to have fans at games and we're going to be able to like actually show off our product in front of people. And mm -hmm. even if it means we have to travel all the way down to Rio Grande Valley in Texas, we're going to play games. Um, and I think that's going to be super fun for us. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of the content. I mean, I, like I said, our photography work has been phenomenal, but you can only take so many photos of people training. Those can only be so fun. Um, sure, there's some days we're playing soccer tennis and those look cooler than others, but it's not game footage. Game footage looks remarkably different and it's so much more fun and engaging for fans. Um, so I, I'm really excited to see what our photographers and videographers can kind of chef up when we're actually playing games mm -hmm. um, and especially rivalry games. Like we're going to play OKC three times probably, three or four. I don't even know anymore, but it's just one of those things where it's like, that's super cool to me. Um, and I think being able to do that and produce all this actual game content will really show off what we can do here that's from back to front. Yeah. I think having fans at games is already going to enhance performance on social and things like people are craving content. I mean, they're craving to be at the games first of all, but right. if they can't be there. Then having that content that looks kind of normal, like what people are mm -hmm. doing with fans in the yeah. being there for their team, that's got to perform well compared to everything that's been happening right now. I mean, we've even noticed that this week when we changed from non-contact training to full content training, people are engaging more with this full contact stuff than they were with the non-contact stuff. Um, sure, they engaged more with the non-contact stuff when it was new and it was sports yeah. content, but now that we're having stuff that actually resembles a real sport again, <laughs> that's where people are like, yes, sports are back. This is fun again. Yeah, so. that's great. So exciting. Um, so I wanted to move into some more general questions, I guess, just about mm -hmm. media and digital as a whole. Yeah. Um, so how do you stay on top of trends? I guess you can talk about it as a team or just as a person, but media and especially social media is changing every single mm -hmm. second of the day. So how right. do you manage that? I think there genuinely isn't one way to do that. I think we do a very effective job at kind of keeping up with not only meme culture, which I think a lot of people are deeply enraptured with, um, mm -hmm. but also just kind of like regular trends on online. Like last week, people were like, always tell you they know a place and they take you so-and-so. And we were going to do a tweet like that. And then it kind of didn't end up working with our voice. And we were like, whatever, we'll, we'll scrap that and we'll go on our next trend. Um, there's some things like that that just don't fit our voice. I think we've done a good job of making a fun voice so we can kind of have more leeway to do really chaotic things randomly, like a meme map or making fun of OKC for no reason, just because it's Tuesday and we're bored. Um, or like today, somebody tweeted about, jokingly, actually Paul Lamar tweeted about putting a 2026 World Cup game in Tulsa as a joke because he didn't want it in FedEx Field. And I did a dumb Photoshop of that Russian ex expanded stadium on our field. And it did pretty well. I mean, it's, it's stupid stuff like that, that I think, and like all of those things, make sure we're constantly turned on. I mean, there's no days off in social media, even if people want to tell you there is. Sure, you can kind of not think about it for a few hours, but things pop up to where you're going to have a content calendar and that content calendar is going to be tossed out the window when a meme pops up. And that's fine. That's not a problem. It's just making sure you're able to do that, but also make sure you're not like stressing yourself out to do that at the same time. Right. Like sometimes things just don't work. You don't have to force anything. That's not how good, that's not how you get good numbers or you get good engagement. It's just by forcing random things onto your channel, onto your feeds. You want to make sure it fits your voice, it fits your vision, and you get the job done. But I think we do a, a very solid job at. How would you describe the voice of the FC's Tulsa social, I guess? <laughs> I think our Twitter and our Instagram is very different. Uh, I think our Twitter is way more like lighthearted, like 
like somewhere right on the cusp of Gen Z and millennial jokes. <laughs> like we're, we're right there in between those two levels of like just general dumb posts and also something that's like kind of almost like pseudo intellectual and funny. Um, our, our Instagram is way more casual. We, we keep our, like our captions are very simple and to the point. Um, we keep it as few words as possible on Instagram uh, and, and just producing great visual content there. I think that's right. kind of the point of Instagram is, is the visual and not so much the words. So when it comes to sharing something like this week, we had a really good video um, and I just kept the caption um, in Spanish, football is back. And that's all we put. That was all we needed. And it did really well because I realized nobody's reading anything on Instagram unless it's like yeah. some lengthy apology post for some random celebrity. Um, so we just have to make sure our stuff looks good on Instagram and our stuff is funny on Twitter and we're going to get those numbers that we need. Definitely. So, and there's, there's a little bit of making fun of ourselves in there, a little bit of making fun of everyone else. It's, it's kind of chaotic. If it works, it works though. <laughs> it, that's kind of our motto. If it works, it works. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Last one from me and then mm-hmm. we'll open it up to anybody else who wants to jump in. Um, I'm curious about, player content so people mm-hmm. always want things directly from the players they and i think a lot of times the athletes like to produce this content themselves because there's right. no man, right there's no like distribution happening they're doing it themselves sure. so how do you incorporate player content or like player generated content into the team mm-hmm. content? so i think that's where i think i would like to do more of player generated content i think we had a tough time because of the pandemic changing that up um, and getting more players to do that kind of stuff um, I think how some of the things were set up, we kind of couldn't do it. Like I wanted to do more player content when it came to the USL E Cup, and um, like we had players playing FIFA with other players, but yet we didn't have any audio from them talking to each other. Even if it was trash talking for the ten minutes they were playing, I think I would have liked to hear a lot of that. Um, for us, I think we're in a really cool position. We have Matt Sheldon, who has a very popular YouTube channel, becoming elite, a um, couple hundred thousand followers on there, and seeing his content is super impressive. He does a phenomenal job. He's clearly invested a lot of money in what he does. Um, so I think we're kind of lucky to have him, but it's also like you go to any of our Instagram posts and every comment is where's Matt Sheldon, Matt Sheldon, Matt Sheldon, who's Matt Sheldon. Um, and it's all that for every comment. So we kind of, we play off that as well, where it's like we, we, we know that if we do a post of four pictures, one of them should be Matt Sheldon sometimes just to throw them a bone so that way they know and they like it um, because they have, he has this army of fans. Um, so there's a lot of that that I think we can do more of because I think we have a lot of really cool stories. Um, we did a very cool feature post on our two Cuban players who defected from Cuba a few years ago. Um, that story was done by my coworker, John. It was a phenomenally written job. Um, he interviewed them for it. Um, that's an incredible story because I haven't read it yet. And then we also did a story on our Nigerian players. We have four Nigerian players as well as our coaches of Nigerian descent. Um, so it's these kind of stories that people don't know about is part of who we are. It's part of what makes us FC Tulsa and why we changed from the Roughnecks to FC Tulsa. It's kind of that that brand and our motto for Tulsa. That's the idea that we're kind of going for. I love the storytelling is huge. And I think oh, yeah. I love that, especially right now, like people are digging for stories mm-hmm. and so many people have them. They just haven't been told yet. So I think that's yeah. great that y'all are doing that and actually pushing those out. And we'll be doing more of them. We, we did a story on Matt Sheldon we did it on the Cuban players Nigerian players and we'll probably be doing a lot more like our one of our season coaches Donovan Ricketts who was probably one of the best MLS goalkeepers of all time um, one of the best CONCACAF goalkeepers of all time 
Um, and like being able to tell his story about how he's been in MLS for so long and now he's coaching here in Tulsa, working with Michael Ensian, who is a prominent Tulsa figure um, as two black coaches in America and living through this and everything. We actually did a, a big Juneteenth thing as well, which I think was really good for us and really good to kind of have Michael Ensian share what he does and share about the community and everything. So it was a, uh, the stories are just, there's so many of them that you can't just stop at the base level of your players. It, it goes much farther than that. That's great. Awesome. Um, cool. Um, David, do you want to jump in first? Of course he does. Sure. Uh, hi, Mickey. Thank you for hi, coming. Hi, David. Um, Thanks, for man. those who don't know, Mickey and I are actually friends. So, friends, um, football friends. <laughs> I was wondering, um, you grew up a fan of Orlando City when they were in the USL Championship, but watched them make that inevitable shift to Major League Soccer. Um, now working again for a USL club, uh, I want your thoughts on kind of the weird promotion relegation system we have in American soccer, where it's more like invited into a club, yeah. uh, Major League Soccer, rather than like the conventional um, how it can be improved, uh, mm -hmm. if there are any like pluses you see from it, uh, and uh, what you see as the future as MLS tries to become more competitive in the CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah, I think, I think the promotional allegation system is always an interesting question to have. Um, I, I've always been on the side where it's, it's going to take a lot of time for us to kind of develop that promotional allegation system. There's gonna be a, it's going to be a lot of years between a, a team buying into the league and a team being promoted into it. I still think there's a long gap between the Phoenix Risings and the Atlanta Uniteds of the world. Um, although there might be a less of a gap between the Phoenix Risings and the FC Cincinnati's at this current point. Um, that's no disrespect, but I think that's just kind of the current case. Uh, I, I, for one, would love to see it. I think it makes the leagues much more competitive and much more fun. Um, like I've heard in the past, when it comes down to that back half of the season, I believe you asked Bruno Lapa this question, you're not fighting for much more. If you're in the middle of the table, if you're not making playoffs or if you're not absolutely tanking. Um, so what is there to kind of gain? Sure, there's winning games and fans like that. But at the same time, it's you end, what, 10th, whatever. So I think eventually with time, I'm hoping to see more promotion relegation kind of come into the fold. But I generally don't see that within the next five to 10 years being a realistic, a realistic opportunity to tackle. But I, I would hope within 10 or so years, we would hear more about it. Thank you. That's, that's my take. That's great. Yeah. I feel like I've talked about this quite a few times and it always depends on where the person's from and what they want out of it. Yeah. What the expectation is after the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Interesting take. Um, Alex, you want to go? Hi, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you. We've kind of gone over a bit about the pandemic and quarantine mm -hmm. and everything. Um, Something I want to bring up, like in Europe, soccer has come back and uh, a lot of the top flight teams were helping support like the lower level teams who obviously mm -hmm. were struggling quite a bit. Um, I was wondering if you had anything to say about like how the USL teams have been supporting each other, how the community has been supporting you guys through everything when you haven't mm -hmm. had games. I think we're in a lucky state here in Tulsa. I think the fans who do like us like us a lot and they've been supporting us heavily, whether it's just through social media or actually buying merch. Um, I can't speak on so much for the other USL teams, but I do know that a lot of them have done very well for themselves during this time, especially kind of pushing out merch, pushing out a lot of stuff where they're donating causes that they support. Um, I think it's a hard time for every American soccer team. American soccer teams are in a tough spot where it's, it's expensive to run one. Um, but I do think that they've done a phenomenal job at 
kind of making themselves so relevant. I think MLS can do really well for themselves with their tournament. And I think we can do really well for ourselves on ESPN Plus and ESPN and everything, kind of showing off our brands to more and more fans. Because not a, throughout the month of July, there other, there's not going to be much more content on TV outside of MLS and USL Championship and USL League One, which is super exciting, I think, for us. And we'll play throughout the next three or four months. And I think we'll be on really good time stops. So seeing stuff like that happen where teams can actually not only show off in their local markets, but show off nationwide will do a lot of good for them. Not to say that it's been already an impossibly tough time. for them. Awesome. Isabel, you want to go? Yeah. Hi, Mickey. Um, Hi. How are you guys continuing to engage fans during this time beyond social media? So I'm actually from Fort Lauderdale. And so Inter-Miami obviously is the <laughs> club that started here. Um, and I see that they do weekly food drives to help try to give back to right. the community. So is FC Tulsa kind of doing anything like that to continue to engage with their fans during this time? There's a couple. Our supporters groups are very, very prominent in our community. And I think we do a really good job of engaging with them and kind of helping out with their initiatives. There's some obviously big things that are coming up as far as helping out that we have in the works that we haven't exactly announced yet. Um, and then there's other things that are simple, like tomorrow we're doing a a poutine eating competition, for example, that it's it's dumb and it's silly, but it's something that we're engaging with our fans in public. Um, we're all going to be there. I'm actually taking place, which I am somewhat nervous about. Um, but it's it's simple because uh, one of the teams who we're coming up against is our main supporters group and one of their subsidiaries. Um, so that's going to be, I think, a ton of fun for us to kind of see them again. They get to see us again. We're doing more and then in the future doing more of their stuff. Like at the beginning of the year, we went to, um, oh, what is it called? It was not really a food drive, but it was, we like packed up food for local groups and everything. And we did that with our players, with our coaches. That was before a pandemic broke loose. So there's a bunch of people in a small room, which is funny to look back on now. Um, but uh, that's kind of something we did with our community and we hope to do more of that in the future. Awesome, thank you. Mm -hmm. Tian, do you wanna go? Uh, thanks, Yankee. And thank you, uh, Mickey, for uh, coming today. So. I was actually browsing your Twitter, and uh, I love how y'all just trashed the Sacramento Kings, uh, like for your videos, and also, mm -hmm. so it's it's so enjoyable. Like uh, it's big, it's big. You guys are like the Wendy's in like you know, <laughs> sports Twitter. So I just have I just kind of like a little side question, but like I saw you guys are interacting a lot with Vegan Athletic, mm -hmm. so. Uh, is there like a partnership between the two clubs or is this just like, um, you know, like via Twitter, like to, just like some good old Twitter interaction mm -hmm. or something like that? Or is there like a partnership? It's definitely super informal. It was something where we tweeted out something in like February um, that happened to, it was when Birmingham City and Birmingham Legion were coming close together. We tweeted out something at a similar time, something super cheesy that actually ended up working. Wigan found out about it. They commented back. Um, and since then we've been on a really good run. They've helped us gain a lot of followers. We've actually done some stuff where they put up our scarf and a shirt in their team shop and sold some of our merch there. Um, we, they sent us a Jersey that's in, yeah, we had a, an edited version of Bradley Bourgeois in the stadium there. Some of our fans actually bought, um, those and put them up of themselves in their supporters group shirts and stuff in the stadium. They had them there today. Um, and so it's kind of been the super informal partnership that's been super beneficial for both sides. Um, I think it's been a lot of fun um, to kind of show that off. But it is true. I mean, back in our NASL days, we did play uh, Wigan here, actually, in Tulsa. 
when we were the Tulsa Roughnecks and there was a fan from both from Wigan and also a fan local here who kind of shared the match day program with us and said, Hey, this is my match day program from that day. I was actually there. And I'm like, what are the odds? That's crazy. Um, so it was super cool to kind of help see those things, but she was, uh, the NASL Roughnecks have such a rich brand. They won the soccer bowl in 1983. Um, they had a lot of prominent players, both that are American and abroad that have done phenomenal jobs for themselves here and kind of helped belt up that we actually have from the soccer bowl. We have this red, um, like suit jacket with the Roughnecks logo on it that's signed by the entire 1983 Roughnecks team that won the soccer bowl. That's going to be, that's currently laying somewhere in the office, but will eventually be hung up prominently in the office. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that Wigan connection is super cool for us. I think it's done a lot of really cool things um, on social as for our fans and as well as for merch because we sold things to, um, to England, which is not something we think we'd done a lot of before <laughs> this year. So that's so cool to see that like, the Twitter banter led to merchandise sales. <laughs> yeah, did not anticipate that in the slightest, but it's definitely cool for us. That's awesome. Uh, David, you want to go? Yeah, uh, so I was wondering, um, did anything change significantly from making content like for and with student athletes to professional athletes? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the big one for us is a lot of uh, player likeness stuff is a lot more available. Uh, we're, we're able to do a lot more things with our players, kind of help promoting their brands a lot more. Um, I wasn't able to do that a lot with Alabama. Um, player branding is not a big thing currently in college athletics. I think it will be soon. I think you've seen a lot of that from Nebraska. Nebraska's done a really good job at kind of helping promote uh, like player-led branding. But in I think with the professional team, it's a little bit different. Like having, again, having someone like a Matt Sheldon is an easy fallback option as far as helping promote a brand. Um, he already has a massive one, so it's easy to help throw, have him even throw us a bone every now and then, and so vice versa. So there's obviously there's going to be a big difference between professionals and collegiate athletes, but it's a lot of stuff you don't expect um, from even the simple day-to-day stuff to kind of more extreme options there. Cool. Isabel, do you want to go? Sure. Um, so I know you said that on the FC Tulsa Instagram page, you like your captions kind of teeter between being Gen Z and millennial, um, (laughs) would you say that the audience on Instagram and Twitter differs? And the second part of my question is, is there a specific audience that you would like to try to target um, as you continue working on your Instagram and Twitter page? So obviously our our big, to start with the second question first, our big target is obviously going to be local Tulsans and people who are going to come to more of our games. Um, That's where we're going to sell more tickets and kind of sell more merch and everything is going to be the people who are close by. Um, the big one for us would be probably collegiate students who wouldn't or weren't probably from here, but would come to games, you know, hang out, have a few beers, buy some merch and have a good time. Um, and our, uh, but for your first question, I would say our audiences are, are very, very different from Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, Facebook obviously is a much, much older crowd. Uh, so they're not, they're not going to get, we're not going to share any memes to Facebook because they're not going to care. Um, but, and then our Instagram audience definitely trends a lot younger than our Twitter audience, but, um, and it's a lot of people who probably aren't from Tulsa are our Instagram audience. There's a lot of followers on there who are either there to see only Matt Sheldon photos and that's it, or who are there to just see good, like visual photo content. And our Twitter is just kind of out there with either local Tulsans to just USL championship fans in general. Awesome. Thank you. Mickey, usually I like to wrap up with asking for some kind of advice, 
Um, so I think since you were just recently at Alabama, um, what is like one piece of advice you wish you had heard when you were looking for a job in sports during your time in college? Um, the big one for me is be persistent. I probably sent out some good 75 applications um, before I heard back from one person. Um, so you can't, you can't just like give up after sending out 10 because nobody cares if you're just sending out 10. If then you're like, do you really want a job if you're just sending out that many applications? Um, just be persistent. And that goes with everything. Like it comes to taking a risk and calling an employer and saying, hey, I still get this job opportunity. I would like to have some moment to talk. Um, and if, if they say no, they say no. If they say yes, you can talk to them. But either way, they hear your name and they hear your voice. Um, that's a big one for me. Um, some advice I did get early in my collegiate career was you can't live inside a brick. Um, you can build a house out of bricks, but you can't live inside one. So every, everything you do, whether it's going to class or talking to professors, building bricks. Um, that was advice I got early on in my collegiate career and helped me out a lot. I think about it all the time. Um, don't know why it resonated with me with so much, but it just sounded right at the time. He had a big brick on his desk too, so it kind of helped cement the point. Um, so it was, uh, it was really good advice at that point, and I really needed to hear it for some reason. Um, so hoping it kind of resonates with many of you guys. Definitely. I love it. I'll take all the advice I can get right now. Um, this has been great, though. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. Anytime. Cool. Well, thanks for coming, everybody. This was fun. Oh, man, class. Sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Stay tuned for more episodes on Adventures with Aggie coming next week.